Hello and welcome back to the final installment of the Extended Clip After Hours podcast. Um, if you're hearing this as a patron in the next couple of days, thank you for helping cover the costs of our equipment, movie tickets, hosting fees, soda, etc. Yeah, you don't have to stop giving us money, too. You can just DM me. Like, I'll put my Venmo out there. If you want to get off on that still... Like you can. True. Yeah, just because the Patreon's going away doesn't mean we won't become girls on Twitter who have their PayPal in their bio. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to go Amazon wishlist, kind of bring it back to the the origins. You know, before there was a Cash App, before there was a Venmo. Yeah, I was saying PayPal. Cash App is all. It shows how out of it I am, you know? (laughs) Eddie hasn't given a girl money on the internet since in like seven years. (laughs) 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 Oh, shit. Damn, I'm about to knock over everything. Yeah, Malcolm is just coming in <laughs> rambunctiously over True. here. It's these uh, these new uh, earbuds. I gotta I gotta play it close to the chest. You know, it's true. It's true. Malcolm now has the shortest cable. How does it feel to be emasculated <laughs> like that? To have the, the the shortest cable by a large margin between well, <laughs> our long hoses. Well, this is this is classic uh, institutional techniques. They take a, a strong, unwily man, and they, uh, they they cage him up. They try to emasculate him. So I, I, I'm just honored to you know, be worthy of that treatment in a way. And if you're listening to this on the main feed, uh, I guess you're welcome for unlocking all of these episodes eventually. And I hope you enjoy the last you know batch of episodes we have ahead of us. But the topic of this After Hours episode is Vanilla Sky. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. The 2001 film by Cameron Crowe. Malcolm, did you did you have anything in mind when you selected this? Uh, what were you fucking yes. thinking? I I well mainly I was like oh it's the last Patreon you know I gotta I gotta bring my A game and then I was like let's just choose a movie I want to see. And I, I chose Vanilla Sky. It's never failed us before. <laughs> and I I really love this movie. Yeah. I, I, I really connected to this movie. I think we all love Tom Cruise here, but I guess the common complaint is like, well, he's kind of neutered himself, you know, at this point. It's like, I still kind of like the mission. You know, I know there's a whole Mission Impossible debate, whatever. I still, you know, for what's out there, still yeah, worth, I still, still like him. Seeing, you know what I mean? But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, oh, dang, like. Eyes wide shut, like collateral, vanilla sky. Like Tom Cruise was really killing it around this era. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and I don't know. I think this movie displays some of his his best acting. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a cheat in a way. The way he kind of uses like his deformed face and then the mask or whatnot. I mean, kind of switching through. You know, those kind of two polar opposites are you know uh, are are kind of really affecting, but. uh, I don't know. It is like there's I guess this is like a concept movie. It's kind of like it's a sci-fi movie, but like not until like the second half Mm -hmm. of it. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting things that this movie has going for it. JT, how'd you feel about it? Yeah, this was the first Cameron Crowe movie that I've seen and enjoyed. Uh, So uh, it was I I mean, I was always anticipating that this uh, and maybe Aloha will break the mold for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's such a strange piece of work and just so fun to see how Cruz does like this, like, I don't know, 
weird performance where he's like not sure of his like own identity throughout mm-hmm. like most of it. It's really fun and interesting to see him go with that. And I feel like uh, I don't know. It's a great last Patreon sure. pick because it's like I'm waking up finally. Waking I'm up a- from the dream. <laughs> yeah, open exactly. your eyes, get a real job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You mean I could just do this forever? Yeah, but <laughs> you might want to. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm jumping off the building after this one. Yeah, <laughs> Malcolm, do you like any Cameron Crowe movies? Yeah, I was I was there for the 2015 Aloha movement. I, I hopped aboard that train, and I'm, I'm glad I did. That's a movie I've rewatched a handful of times. Always gotten a uh, good amount of enjoyment out of it. But to be honest, it hadn't really inspired me to go see others i don't know there's kind of aspects of that movie that almost kind of felt like a happy accident in some regards but Mm. maybe you know after watching this i wouldn't say that aloha and vanilla sky i enjoy both movies i don't really enjoy them for similar reasons Mm. i would say but like uh just trying to get a like a a tap on like Cameron Crowe style besides like over sentimentality or whatever. Yeah. And an obsession with pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, I guess it's like, that obsession with pop culture is put to a somewhat productive end. Yeah, I mean, it, I feel like some of the stuff that makes me have a strong dislike for something like uh, Almost Famous actually really lends itself to this film really well. Uh, he also wrote the script for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but I'll slide that into the Amy Heckerling canon before The Crow. Um yeah, I saw Jerry Maguire as a kid. I don't really remember too much of it other than the fantastic Tom Cruise performance. And uh, yeah, as I said, not a fan of Almost Famous, but this film really did it for me. I really liked it. And it's one that when I finished watching it, it was one of those classic like, all right, I'll just go log it at three stars or whatever. Good movie. But then I just kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it. And as, I don't know, kind of... um. I don't want to say shallow uh, because it's a very dense film, but it's it's almost like an emotionally shallow and subtextually incredibly dense film. (laughs) Uh, It it really just kept opening up for me the more I watched it or the more I talked about it and rewatched scenes from it. Um, It is a remake of a 1997 Spanish film called Open Your Eyes. And of course, that title is used as the first and last uh, words that you hear in this movie where you have Tom Cruise as David Ames, uh, the, the man who had it all, you know, he, he, uh, the, the son of a New York publishing mogul, uh, who then inherits the keys to the kingdom is referred to by his board of, as he calls them, seven dwarves as citizen dildo, uh, and citizen dildo is, you know, building a world of his own, whether or not he knows that on a grander level, that's actually what's happening uh, throughout this whole movie. But when I say he's building a world of his own, you know, he, he has this party at his house where he has like a, a hologram of John Coltrane <laughs> and he has uh, Giuliani Gianni played by Cameron Diaz. What a silly name that is. Uh, yeah. And she is his uh, quote unquote fuck buddy, despite his, you know, good buddy Jason Lee as Brian Shelby being like, you know, th- that's like the dream girl. And you're just you're just the fuck buddy and he's like calling in late to play racquetball and he's driving the mustang and he, he's really just as he says living the dream and as as i'll get into there's quite a bit of things like his quote living the dream that are very on the nose but in a way that again i think feels productive toward 
the way that this film kind of undercuts itself with its second half and how much of a sledgehammer that kind of feels <laughs> like. And you, you know what's funny? Like I and like and I'm not I'm not even sure if like this I don't know needs kind of uh, clarification even. But it's like like uh, even though like the second half kind of undercuts that first, half, I still like the first half like yeah. a good amount. And like I like even if this was a straight up movie of like Cruz kind of being like an aloof rich douchebag or whatever, like I I would enjoy that too. But like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I think like this movie's like really well shot to me too. Like, I think John Toll, you know, he did Thin Red Line. The guy's got a uh, movies under his belt at this yeah. point. I feel like it kind of has like a bluish, you know, hue to it through mm-hmm. a lot of it. And uh, I don't know. Like that opening scene r- really got me. Where we got you know Tom Cruise and his the kind of like semi futurist apartment or whatever. You got Radiohead playing, and then you know. We get him to Central Park to kind of, you know, just run around, you know, by himself. I guess Times Square. Rather. Times Square. You're right. And we'll I guess, see Central Park three dreams later. That's true. <laughs> and I guess, I guess a little trivia time. I guess that's like, that's the last movie Times Square got shut down for. Wow. Yeah. So Cameron Crowe really, you know, pulling his, his clout card there after, I, I guess, Almost Famous. Is that? Well, also the- Tom Cruise, you yeah. know, he's mm-hmm. a producer on the film and he actually was the one who brought the idea to Crowe to remake this film. Really? Uh, so yeah, Cruise saw this at like a festival and he, he gave a pretty funny quote about like how, you know, he's had all these offers to remake movies, but he always wanted them to be a part of their own culture. But then he saw this one and he was like, this is a universal story. This isn't, you know, <laughs> this isn't specific to Spanish culture. <laughs> that's a very funny, like... <laughs> way of going like you know that's 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 genuinely what he thought too yeah it's oh like, absolutely no one no one would tell him to say that but uh <laughs> to fill out the setup a little more uh so we talked about giuliani gianni uh, we talked about uh, jason lee as brian shelby who is a kind of a client slash best friend you know tom cruise is this publishing mogul uh even though he's not doing anything mogul like he's just kind of running the ship as a ghost as it were uh and uh he's in the process of publishing a novel by the jason lee character and jason lee comes to his party and brings penelope cruz uh her character is named sophia serrano and she is, you know, you, you don't really know too much about her. You just see that she kind of sees Tom Cruise as a real person rather than for what he is on the grander scale of things. So, you know, they have their one great night together. And uh, then in the morning, despite not having sex, because Cruise's character is famously a pleasure denier, as he calls it. <laughs> uh, 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 it's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, Mm. After that, he gets in the car with Cameron Diaz again, and she loses it in the car, drives off a bridge, and kills herself and injures Tom Cruise in the process. Uh, Then we get into the framing device of the film, as this whole thing is really told in the jumbled order, including dreams and reality totally interwoven, so it's hard to kind of synopsize the film properly. Uh, That's where we meet Kurt Russell, who plays Dr. McCabe, who is the psychologist uh, who is trying to kind of build a case for Tom Cruise, and all we know is that there is a dead body somewhere. You know, first half, maybe you think that he's getting charged for Cameron Diaz's murder. As the second half progresses, we realize the the dark truth of it all. Uh, also in that room, we have Michael Shannon as the prison guard, and he just kind of hangs around the whole movie. Good good casting. <laughs> True, yeah. It, it is funny. Like, I, I, w- I don't want to call Kurt Russell bad casting, but it is kind of funny when, like, 
he's like one of those people where he, he like he gets casted as you know real tough guys but occasionally they'll have him like casted as the smartest guy in the movie which mm-hmm. is like a i don't know that's that's versatile that's versatility right there um and it's it, this this framing device is kind of interesting in terms of like story structure and i guess it kind of works with like you know dreams and reality you know interlapping and kind of uh i don't know kind of like this back and forth kind of you you got a crazy tom cruise in there with uh uh kurt russell in that very blue room and you know he's like dancing around and spazzing out you know and it's not just blue it's like it it reminds me of early 2000s spielberg where like the light sources just kind of totally blow out the windows and stuff and you just Mm -hmm. have these completely whited out spots of the frame and the reflections carry on to objects within the frame and yeah i feel like a lot of the interiors kind of look like that early 2000s spielberg look speaking of which at the party we mentioned we do see a cameo from old Stevie. Really? Uh, yeah, he like greets him. He's wearing like the schmoozing. ball cap. Yeah, he's like, oh, you old son of a bitch. Brought he's the ice. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, I always miss these type of things in movies. <laughs> oh, trust me, you'll miss a lot then because, uh, so as we said, it opens with the dream sequence, but then, you know, it opens with the dream sequence of him in the empty Times Square in his Porsche, and then you wake up, he goes through that same routine. You know, the only thing that carries over from the dream to the reality is that he notices a gray hair on his head that he has to pluck out. You know, the aging process, the mortality is still always going to be there. Uh, but then he gets in his car, and we see a little uh, little clue as to how the rest of the movie might unfold when you see that the expiration date on his tags are for February 30th. 2001 a date that of course does not exist uh so we know things are off a little but we know that this is a much more grounded reality than the one we opened in and we might as well just say the ending so we could go through the film with a full conscious a a, a heavy heart in a in a full head (laughs) (laughs) that's how i like to do these things so it turns out that the reason he's being detained is that he murdered uh, the Penelope Cruz character, but he, you know, kept thinking that it was the Cameron Diaz character kind of taking over her body in this crazy nightmare state. But the reason why he's, you know, walking through this living nightmare is that he signed up for a life extension program, you know, something that's along the lines of cryogenic freezing and unfreezing. Uh, who's the most famous case of that? That would be Walt Disney. Frozen's uh, penis. And didn't he like call for uh, Kurt Russell before dying? Isn't that like a popular myth or something like that? Yeah. What's that about? I haven't heard that. Oh, yeah. Apparently on his deathbed, like the last thing he said was just like, get Kurt Russell. I mean, I think it might be like, because wasn't Kurt Russell at that time like Like in some... Oh, a boy? Well, apparently he was Uh like a young boy, or not a boy, but he was a young actor, like on TV. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, Walt so, Disney was old. You so know. Walt, Walt, even to the grave, had an eye for talent. But it's just these <laughs> pop culture crossing of the, uh, or connecting of the dots, rather, that kind of ends up making up this film because he signed up for a very special type of uh, cryogenic freezing and unfreezing to extend his life. <laughs> he signed up for a program that, as Tilda Swinton uh, explains with a very awesome fucking video, I love the, the video advertisement, uh, Uh, for this life extension program that he's just been in a lucid dream for 150 years now. 
and his subconscious has been making up the dream as it goes along, primarily based in his kind of cultural memories. You have all these pieces of art and cultural history that kind of flood his brain and make it the way it is. You know, this is kind of foreshadowed by the John Coltrane hologram. But you see, you know, uh, Breathless and uh, Jules et Jim posters in his bedroom. We then learn that, you know, Jules et Jim was like the basis for the Penelope Cruz character. And the soundtrack to his life was all the music that he was inspired by. And we even have that shot where him and Penelope Cruz recreate the cover of the Freewheelin' Bob Dylan album cover, which is later explained as well. And so in what, you know, could be read as a simple it was all a dream kind of thing turns a lot more cynical when you realize that like people can sign over their reality to a corporate death avoider dream creator that uses all the art and culture that you grew up on to create a nightmare world that you can only escape by jumping off a skyscraper in 2051 New York where the Twin Towers are still up. Uh, So it kind of obviously uh, reminds one of the panoply of IP-driven movies that are out now. uh, It's more, not that this movie reminds you of it, but the reality that this corporation creates, uh, this fantasy simulacrum that it creates for people, wholly based out of the type of shit that Cameron Crowe just laps up, uh, is just such a depressing prospect and yeah. like such a dark you know twisting of the knife despite the beauty and passionate emotions that overflow throughout the movie yeah for those maybe if that was you know if you're low iq you didn't quite nod onto that basically tom cruise is living in free guy exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> he's but, the free guy he's yeah. a free guy but at the end he decides to end it all you know what i mean but I guess, you know, if that prospect kind of the pop culture, the dreams of your life kind of amounting kind of to the pop culture you like to kind of, uh, you know, popping up and kind of establishing reality out, out of that. You could go see that movie. It, you know, it kind of approves that and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't leave you so down on yourself. But considering, you know, how the movie ends, it's like even like it's funny, like I love the soundtrack to this movie and it's like soundtracks like this sometimes. I, I like even if it's songs I like, I kind of like sometimes can just feel like I don't know, like this is too playlisty. This isn't exactly like a like a movie soundtrack thing. And like maybe th- like there's an element to that that's there here, but like it's worked, you know, in a way, you know, in the back end of the movie that makes sense. So it's kind of a uh, have your cake and eat it too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think the fact that it kind of like i don't want to say retro fits in at the end but i think like because you have that perspective then that it was like this world that is in part like cruz's invention and like a part of his psyche there i think it makes like uh the awkward bits and i feel like crow's sort of sentimentalism like work it like i don't know it just connects all the dots together very well I mean, I think like Crow's, you know, his sentimentalism and like that sometimes we use that as a positive for other filmmakers. Right. Yeah. And we kind of use it in a negative here. I don't know. There's some moments where like just kind of like light romantic touches, you know, and now that I'm thinking it's like, oh, no, this could be a ref like like we're about like that keyhole scene. Like, mm. I don't know. Is that a reference from another movie or something? It feels like it easily. Yeah. Could I was, be, yeah. Mm, now I'm, now I'm in like Tom Cruise on the top of the building mode being like <laughs> trying to be like, wait a second. Was that real? Was that a movie? <laughs> reference? You know what I mean? 
But what does it mean if our entire world is just references to earlier culture at this point? You know, obviously yeah. we're not living in Free Guy. We're not living <laughs> mm-hmm. in Life Extension uh, with the special option of uh, the the lucidity dreams. But it is pretty damn close. Yeah. <laughs> so do we need to wake up? Is that, the, <laughs> no. is that somebody answer? wake up? Damn, Mark Fisher. Ask it, ask him what he thinks about it. True. Is this what I don't know what the word hauntology means? Is this what the, is this what, is that what this is? I I'm I also don't know, but I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> JT, you might know what that. I word mean, means. there's a weird moment there to like connect to that where the Russell performance I like generally, um, but I love how it comes together with him at the end where it's like <laughs> him being like yeah we're your daughter's names like you're a fake guy oh. it's like uh <laughs> you know it's funny i i think probably the weakest aspect of this is probably jason biggs as the friend you maybe. mean uh, or uh jason lee jason yes. they should have gotten jason biggs jason yeah. biggs that that would have been a little bit more enjoyable to honestly be in terms of like pop culture signifiers too that's so much better like that's as true. the goofy uh like horny best friend who like you know just brings a girl for tom cruise yeah. but it's like come on man this I is just her. because tom cruise character was watching too much my name is earl <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing did he get my name is earl because of this movie Probably. Possibly. Probably. <laughs> I mean, what what were his other bona fides? He was a professional skateboarder and he was in some smaller movies. He was a skateboarder? Oh yeah. Jason yeah. Lee was a uh, professional skateboarder. Yeah. Dang. Okay, well that's that's cool. I'll give him that. Or he's a sellout. He's if a you sellout. think about it. Dang. You know, he abandoned the punk skate culture to be in a fucking Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> Corporate <True>. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then that fucking sitcom. No, I actually, I used to like My Name is Earl when it was on TV. I was like 12, 13 years old at the time. There was a, a classic rock block on NBC of The Office and My Name is Earl. Oh, middle school me was lapping that shit up, man. Rock block? Well, that's what I call it. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's a rock radio term where they uh, play uh, blocks of music from a certain artist, you know? Okay. It'll I be get like it. a rock block weekend on K Rock, and you got like three Radiohead songs in a row, then three Foo Fighters songs in a row. <laughs> Dang. That's, that's you know, I, Radiohead, I feel like. You can't play him on the radio anymore. You can't play him in the alt rooms anymore. Where are you going to listen to Radiohead? I guess alone in your home. In the peace. alt rooms. <laughs> going to fucking UCB with a boombox, putting on everything in its right place. Yeah, man. They're the original. <laughs> too too good for the alt rooms, too weird for the clubs. <laughs> you can't listen to... They They won't let you listen to Radiohead anymore. They won't let you do it. <laughs> the, the two Radiohead songs, of course, are extremely on the nose here. Everything in its right place. And, oh, man, just like... That's the thing. No matter how on the nose and obvious it becomes, especially in retrospect, I think Crow is kind of the perfect filmmaker for this because yeah. he's so good at just like that very basic... Hollywood, you know, emotional manipulation, Mm -hmm. romanticism of life of a movie star guy. You know, it's like his characters embody movie star attitude. You know, Jerry Maguire, this is a fucking rock star sports agent, you know? (laughs) And and in this one, Tom Cruise is also a fucking rock star. Rock star, literary. Yeah, it's like almost (laughs) famous. The best part of that movie is Philip Seymour Hoffman as the rock star journalist, which is like the stupidest (laughs) thing ever. But uh, of course, it's fucking, you know, 
in both of those cases, Cruz and Hoffman, some of our greatest movie actors of the last 50 years or whatever, he knows like just how to fit into those formulas so well. So when you have this middle chunk of the movie where Cruz is recovering from his injury, wearing uh, a mask sometimes and just sporting his normal deformed face sometimes, uh, and he's like trying to win over Penelope Cruz and overcome his own, you know, uh, his hatred of himself at this point you know he's realizing how much of a hollow life he lives and how he'll never have those classic looks again either uh i i love those scenes you know him following penelope cruz through the streets of new york with the broken face like you can't really beat that in this movie for me on a very pure like when you're watching it level obviously there's a lot of stuff that's you know much more impactful on a psychological level later on but just seeing him follow her through the streets her turn around and you know that truck carrying a bunch of plexiglass rolls by so you get that reflection shot of Cruz's distorted face while Penelope Cruz is looking essentially at him and doesn't recognize him scenes like that and the the dream he has after the accident where he meets with Penelope Cruz in Central Park and it's like the the color scheme looks like the Central Park scenes from when Harry met Sally you know it's like that beautiful bright orange and brown bringing it back to our first First episode, the autumnal hues, as I said in that episode. I can't believe I still remember that. Um, I, I don't know. He just knows how to hit all those beats for like a highlight reel of all of these pop culture movies and, you know, uh, just general pop culture items that make up this movie. And I, I think that the... Uh, the concept of it, even if like it's not the most perfect execution of the ending, and I think the ending has a bit more explaining than it needs, which I found insane because there's an alternate ending which has more explanation to it. <laughs> uh, I, I I just felt like the rooftop stuff, like it, as beautiful as it is, definitely goes on too long for yeah, my taste. That's fair. Uh, and just the general, like it, it could have been, you know, a little quicker. I think. I, I think it would have been more of a mind freak if it was a little quicker, even. Um, Less Jason Lee stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but but I just think that Crow's ability as like a very baseline studio sentimental sentimentalist uh, working with just like expert fucking craftsmen, expert fucking movie stars in this movie is really a perfect storm for what this movie is all about. True, and I think like Cruz was right. This is good source material. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like uh, I think it's just it's rich for. Just, you know, some really, you know, uh, <laughs> some good filmmaking. I kind of blanked <laughs> out there. I but, mean, I feel yeah. like in lesser hands, like uh, scenes that would just be sort of like connective tissue to like the fucked up shit or mm-hmm. the world unraveling or the dream sequences here really mean a lot more. Like the nightclub scene oh, that yeah. happens is crazy. Like there's the moment where like the lights sort of like wash over Cruz. Oh, so good. And then just in general, like him alone in the crowd with the two faces oh. on the on the back of his head it's just i uh yeah that nightclub scene where he's going in public with the mask for the first time is so sick and it's just like so painful to watch him try and you know win over penelope cruz with the mask on and then just get hammered with the bartender who he and the bartender call each other a bitch playfully and just like get smashed and then he's just embarrassing himself and according to the uh, life extender uh support guide uh, that is where he chose to splice his life into this other, you know, uh, hallucinatory, lucid dream state, which explains why the next morning he wakes up and there's that classic vanilla sky from the Monet paintings that he was uh, referring to and has in his uh, apartment. 
and Penelope Cruz just picks him up off the ground, you know, fully sympathizes with him. And from there, they build uh, a uncannily beautiful and painful relationship because you just know it can't be fully real at that point, no matter how little you know about like the implications of the third act in this movie. No. Yeah. I mean, that like the nightclub sequence and kind of just like, yeah, that simple like have him wear the mask and like ha- have his distorted face and like. I don't know, him walking around the club with the two faces is just kind of seeing him adjust to like, it's like, okay, is this like, you know what I mean? I'm not getting, you know, attention from girls, you know what I mean? It's not the life I'm used to, you know, now, you know, I guess I'm going to, you know, you know, schlep it up with the bartender or something like that. I want to talk about the mask a little bit because, you know, Cruz has these three huge auteur movies from 99 to 01. And, you know, we've already talked about Collateral, which comes a few years later, but Collateral, I feel like, slides more into a classic genre thing, despite, you know, if you've seen one other Michael Mann movie, it's like unfucking mistakable as a Michael Mann movie. Uh, but for these three very weighty, thought provoking, uh, you know, big two plus hour dramas from masters at this point, you have this one, Eyes Wide Shut, and Magnolia all three of which he is kind of reckoning with his own image as a movie star, if you kind of take that reading to it. Mm -hmm. Eyes Wide Shut, obviously, you have the masks from the party. You know, everyone everyone wears masks, and then they have the big elite orgy, you know, Uh, and he has to hide himself because despite his success in life and having a hot wife, he is not part of that cultural elite that gets to partake in that. And they're all wearing masks too, but he's the only one really hiding at that party. Mm -hmm. Then you have Magnolia, where he is essentially disguising his own reality as this motivational cock-swinging guy. You know, uh, uh, respect... The, what, what is it? Respect, respect the, the cock, cock and... Tame the cunt, And I tame believe. the cunt, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, the reporter who breaks him down throughout that movie, you know, pretty much his whole role after the first 30 minutes is just in that interview where his reality is really coming forth, where he comes from this terrible, you know, broken home and how he you know, is just the complete opposite kind of bad person that you think he is from uh, what he's doing as a motivational speaker and the way that his public persona is the mask in that one. And then in this one, he's masking himself from the horrific reality that he made for himself through his lucid dreaming and through the, the memories that his subconscious has. And you know, I don't have a thesis about these things. I just think it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the first, like, half of this film, like, he's, like, walking around, like, richer than God, just able to do everything. His performance here has, like, the same quality that whenever I see, like, real life, like, Tom Cruise interviews or when he did, like, the tenant thing, he has, like... And other people have said this, but he has this weird alien quality to him. I feel like a lot of like people who are just so famous, they can fucking do whatever they want. But it's just strange and alien. And when he's being like charismatic, but also such a prick at the beginning of this movie, it's just like, oh, this is like what it's actually like to be Tom Cruise. <laughs> 
I hey, I wouldn't wake up. <laughs> oh man, put me back in. <laughs> uh, I also like when you're initially introduced to the life extension uh, program in like a TV special that he's watching in his first night with Sophia. You hear a phrase where the guy says, "You know, boy will meet girl, and they might fall in love, but man will meet his mind." And that's kind of like the concept of this movie. It's like you have the classic boy meets girl, boy loses girl. Boy gets another girl. Maybe it's another girl. I don't know. Uh, but it starts off normal, at least. But man meeting his own mind is kind of this whole movie. And it's this kind of thing where, you know, plenty of other people have related it to the famous end of history, no- uh, not novel, essay from around this time, too. I believe Francis Fukuyama or whatever. Uh Trust me, I'm just referencing. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> citing here. Uh, but like this, looking inward and this exploration of the mind, you know, and like what it means to even be alive in our current culture. You have things like you know, Magnolia, American Beauty, Donnie Darko, Mulholland Drive. You know, all these huge movies from this time, like the most memorable movies from this time, honestly, other than the big disaster movies that obviously predated 9-11. Shout out Adam Curtis. Movies that look inward, I feel like this is the one that reckons with the dead end of pop culture that's forcing us to look inward more than any of them. I'd agree. And that's all. (laughs) I mean, it feels like I think a while back on the show, we talked about like um, the special like era of like studio movies where it was like kind of pre 9-11, like meant like can't lose Mm -hmm. like mentality. And I feel like this coming at like the tail end, like because this is December 2001. So I imagine they would have been filming like before 9-11. As the towers drop. (laughs) (laughs) And it just feels like the the confrontation of that, like, mindset of, like, okay, we've won the Cold War. We're on fucking top, like, having to sort of face yourself and face your own It's like, so what else is there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then we realized, oh, (laughs) 9-11. Let's start over. Which which wasn't even that bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, we have a 9-11 every week from freaking COVID. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) true. But, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know why everyone got that sad about, you know what I mean? But Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to, to take it back to Black Hat last week, did you lose anyone in 9-11? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know why I, I, I was... I was th- you're just trying to... You're trying to po- t- test the waters there a little bit. True. See, see what we can get away with in terms of 9-11. <laughs> I was thinking, like, I was trying to pull a little Wayne lyric, uh, sleeping at the top, nightmares of the bottom. So that's basically... <laughs> That's basically what Crow and Cruz were having here. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, they, ever, they were on the top, but they saw they saw what was coming. I guess. Uh, in that explaining finale, where you know uh, the tech support guy makes it clear that you know Cruz looks to Kurt Russell as like a father figure, and that you know he created Sophia out of like the image of like that you know uh, kind of I don't even know how you how you would describe the romance of Jules et Jim, but like the i guess free free wheeling to borrow a term from the bob dylan album they recreate <laughs> uh that free wheel and love and like really just like mid-century pop culture that informs everything and in, in that montage you even have uh and there's two amazing montages in this one is when he realizes what this whole thing is and you have a flash of mlk jr like uh, at one of his famous speeches and it's so funny that like next to just like brian wilson talking during a pet sounds outtake and like next to jules and jim you just have like 
MLK. And it's like, all right, how many black people are even in this movie? <laughs> like two. <laughs> but regardless, uh, I, I just... Oh, the other montage, of course, is when he commits the murder, uh, when he kills Penelope Cruz's character and thinks that she's Cameron Diaz. And mm-hmm. I, I just think that the, the audio montage oh, as yeah. well as visual is just incredible there. But uh, another part of the like explaining at the end that I found very funny is when the guy tells him that uh, Jason Day's character held a three-day memorial for him. And it just looks like the party from the beginning, kind of. <laughs> and, like, when uh, <laughs> when Penelope Cruz walks in, he just, like, turns around and is just, like, yucking it up with these other two girls. Like, he's having a ball at this funeral for his best friend. <laughs> That's what he would have wanted. A three-day rage. So, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just found it very funny that, like, during this you know, psychologically harrowing montage. You just see Jason Day just like smiling. <laughs> Jason Lee, not was, Jason Day. I was gonna correct yeah, Jason Day's okay. a golfer, I believe. Uh look, we all know where I'm already on the links. I'm, <laughs> I'm checked out on this retirement episode. mode. <laughs> Got a little senioritis. <laughs> Um, but I, I'm looking forward to revisiting some Cameron Crowe. I'm going to rewatch Jerry Maguire soon. Um, I don't think I'll rewatch Almost Famous. That one left the worst taste in my mouth possible. Oh, Almost like Famous Like when I watched sucks, it like four God. years ago. Yeah. Um, but I definitely want to watch Aloha because a lot of my friends, including this guy right here, seem to really hold it as one of the uh, the 2010s' great studio films. Yeah. I'm, and you know what? I'm going to ca- catch We Bought a Zoo. It's probably not. You know what I mean? It's probably not as bad as people say it is. I saw it in theaters and didn't like it, but I was I was a young man. I could change. I could at least see myself turning around for for Damon. Hey, you know I'll be the first to say it. You can't make movies like that anymore. We it's bought true. a zoo. I want to check out Singles because there's an interesting like there. I've seen interesting images of Matt Dillon with really long hair in that one. That's so. okay. that's a draw. I'll I mean, watch hey, a, just the movie star power enough. You know, like I'll I'll just go for that. Elizabeth Town. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, I think that is going to do it for our discussion of Vanilla Sky. Um, Malcolm, would you take the plunge or are you staying in the dream world? Even Uh, when your subconscious is so freaked up that you kill people. Um. Well, you know, I they just put the new patch in at the end, so you'll be fine. Sure, yeah, I got the update. Um, (laughs) and I guess once you realize that, you know, you could probably be pretty chill. I'm no, trying, but I'm you said to... if you started again, you forget. Yeah, but also, like, if he just kept going on that route. Sure. It's okay. like, if he knows it's a dream, he could just be like, all right, I'm free. You don't have to arrest me anymore. I want to combine dreams in real life and live there. Sounds like you're already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> JT, any any final thoughts? A decision? Um, <laughs> fuck, yeah, I'm living in the dream world. It's the... Uh, the Joey Pants uh, Matrix thing. You got to eat the fake steak, be a star in your dreams. I don't fucking care that it's fake. I won't know. That's a, that's a good point. And my answer? I look like Tom Cruise on Vanilla Sky. It was televised.